نشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الوالي الكريم وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لمن مرسلين أما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part? And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universes? All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend, and send salutations of Allah on all of His prophets and His apostles, and on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God, and on the Mujaddid, the Reform, which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On WGAG Radio. Radio. Well, back. My name is Dr. Valen Christie. I've been a student of the Grand Master, Dr. Malachi Zayoff, for 10 years. And in those 10 years, I've been exposed to nothing but undisputable truth. From the Nubian Islamic Hebrew, to the Ansar Allah community, to the Holy Tabernacle Ministry, to the ancient and mystical order of Malachi Zadok. I've been through all the schools of higher learning. And now, I'd like to introduce the man of our time, the Grand Master, Dr. Malachi Z. York. Thank you. 
make up the whole bit. Um, now the main thing is, um, we all haven't heard it, I think you should get it. Because if you really listen to what he's saying, and I think that was to me yesterday, right? No more to me, and I listened to it last night. If you really listen to what he's saying, he said, and I repeat, and this for him and his father, this is going on there, he said that Allah was created in triple darkness. Mm. Ain't nothing to worry about. That's better. He said, when you're outside at night, that's not darkness, that's the shadow. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 He said, that's an illusion, that's not real, that's the shadow. <laughs> the real darkness is inside the womb where people are conceived. If all that, he said on that page, if you're looking for a devil, stop looking outside there. You black people go look in a mirror, and there you'll see the devil. <laughs> That's not a direct statement of black devil. <laughs> there it is. I ain't finished. You get to take it from there. He also says on that tape, I mean at that lecture, he says that it's Muslims and Islam, and he says they might not want to be called Muhammadism, but they are Muhammadism. Uh, uh, <laughs> and he says Muslims, Christians, and Jews, give up those names. But that was divided and destroyed. He said, religion is destroyed. He said, the real religion of God is obedience. That's And that all of y'all are God. And then he proceeded to say, is it not written in the Lord? I said, Condition. 
with the same bad information. The information has got to upgrade itself in order for you to upgrade the people. And no duality as a prophet will have a point, it made sense, and it lifted them for, to a certain level. Muhammad Ali Muhammad had a point, it made sense that day and time, and it lifted them for a certain amount of level. You know what I'm saying? Even Clarence 37 
you had a point star. You can see it just as clear as day because whoever was on the camera might have been one of our followers. But he's getting right on his face. And you can see where they put the six points on it. Not five. That is not the symbol on your book. That is not the symbol on your pen your lesson. That is not your national, not your flag, not your pendant. That is known as our symbol. And everybody knows. You know why they know it? Because they never saw what they refer to as a Jewish star and a Muslim crescent. They never saw it before. The high-ranking Freemasons saw it, and they would approach you on the street and ask you, do you know what that means? Right. And you say, you? And walk on about your business, but they and no one else ever introduced the six-pointed star and upright crescent to Nubians until 1970 when I presented it to the world as a sign of the ever-living the living, the true and living God. And they look in the book, and they look like and say, this is similar to the true and living. Now leave the God out. But I wasn't taking a position until the time was right. And when I say true and living God, I mean, like the brother said, you can walk up to your God and talk to him. You can walk up to him and say, I got a question for you, God. They can't do it. They can't walk up to Quran, they can't walk up to Clarence, they can't walk up to none of them. You understand? And if I move on to the next life, then another God steps in place. No such thing like nobody coming after me because um, I'm so great, nobody can succeed me. That's not how it works with us. When one Pharaoh steps down, another Pharaoh comes in. That's all God means to Pharaoh. But when we make a declaration that we're God, what upsets you fools is you keep on taking our definition all the way from the hands of our community. I would tell y'all, stop judging my religion by your religion. Stop judging my interpretation by yours. We stop reading our book and think you know what we're talking about. Fool, instead of just asking me. We say, God, we ain't talking about your God. Your God is, you know, I said, it's a whim. <laughs>
We respect them. We respect the Mahdi. And always will. Our Mahdi. If y'all don't want to be your Mahdi, they need our Mahdi. We put them in our bag with the rest of our stuff. <laughs> y'all want some Zulama Akhtar Pakistani? That's your Mahdi. That's fine. Y'all want Master Brahma Muhammad call your Mahdi? That's your Mahdi. That's fine. Why we all can't have our own Mahdi? We all got our own shoes on. My foot ain't the same size as yours. <laughs> and as long as we don't stand toe to toe, if all we ain't got no problem, and we obviously y'all don't want to stand toe to toe with me on which Mahdi is right, but I wrote a whole book on how my Mahdi is a true Mahdi. I can see y'all. I had to write a book on yours, so you won't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's the bottom line. Is that we are God, and we're reflections of God, and we're an image of God, and we're the likeness of God. If that bothers you, then hey, you just have to live with your problems. Do things come and go. Get a cure. Get the cavity dug out. Get a shot. But do something. But don't interfere with me. And don't try to get me. Because you can't explain to me or prove to me you got a toothache anyway. I know you got a toothache. By a toothache, I mean I know you're stressed in what you're teaching. But I can see it in your eyes. I can see the lack of confidence while I watch that tape. I don't watch that tape to watch that mouth. I watch that tape to while that mouth is moving. That sound is coming out. I want to see if they really that's what they're saying. They know what they're saying. Anytime anybody starts talking about God, they don't know what they're saying because they cannot prove it. If I talk about a car, I can prove it. If I talk about this hunk, I can prove it. If I talk about the compass in the square, the actual compass and the square, the actual hunk, the actual car, I can prove it or take you to one. If I can't, I'll make one. <laughs> Those are principles of being confident and being in truth and being right. Right. But not when I start trying to convince you that you are wrong if you don't believe in some unseen God. And give you a complex and try to make you feel guilty because you're the kind of person that says, I don't mind you look good feeling that way, but I just have a man that wants to know. That may, I'm a different kind of being, you can call me the devil, you can call me anything to make you feel comfortable because I want to know. I just want to know. There's anything wrong with that now. You talk to me about Allah, tell me about Allah. Can you explain this thing to me? Don't say God is real. Get all that. And the worst thing you can do is run over to the Quran. A book written by mortals, if not written by mortals, recorded by mortals, stored in the subconscious or conscious mind of mortals and human beings who are all imperfect, like you said, a wobbling planet, a wobbling mind. Your mother ain't gonna go to the Quran and say, listen, the Quran says, Allah says, of course. The Quran was written for people like you that want to use the word of Allah. Of course the Quran is going to back up Islam. You go to Jehovah's Witnesses, they do the same thing. They got a whole bunch of books that back up Jehovah's Witnesses jump. What about the universal truth? The universal truth would be the scripture name of Allah and tell me the meaning of it. And your scholars can't do that. El Ila or El Lahu or they don't even know what it means. You asked one the other day, some five percent. I believe in Allah. What does Allah mean? He said, huh? <laughs> the word, not, you know, not, the, not the attribute, the word itself, that being attributed to the being of course, the source, the person, or whatever, or the box, the cookie, whatever it is you're going to love, what does the word first mean? They can't tell you. Muslims are this being law, what does the law mean? The God. What happens if the Germans never created the word God or good? Then what would you say it means? The Duke, the French, the Dios, the Spanish? What would you say, man, that we need all these other languages? Drop everybody else's language, brother, and tell me what Allah means. Now, what would happen is, 
if he could speak the Arabic language, he would start giving you a commentary of Allah in Arabic. That's the only way you can explain Allah. Because Allah is an Arabic word. You can't explain Allah in Arabic word in English. You would be translating. The Bible says you'd be moving away, trans. You'd be going away from it. Trans is trans is <laughs> You'd be going away from it because you cannot capture the actual meaning. The Bible So now let me try to hold me in and make you think if a person don't believe in God, and they're a devil. The brothers don't believe in God, brothers don't believe in the devil either. Don't understand that. They come together. Because you wouldn't even know there was a God unless there was a devil. Because there'd be no purpose for your God if there was no devil. So y'all need the devil as bad as y'all need your God. Because what would a religion be without the devil? What would be the purpose of Islam if there was no shaitan? What would be the purpose of Judaism if there was no hasatan? What would be the purpose of Christianity if there was no dragon? If all of you ask the Muslims, do y'all need the devil? You better have the devil because if you don't, you have to close your mouth and stop Mecca. Because the whole purpose of going to Mecca is to always be that. We don't say, come on, brother. So, Shaitan, and everything you say, in your salon, you're praying to Shaitan. When you eat, you're praying to Shaitan. I don't want Shaitan to take my food. <laughs> you know, not only we, we don't say God is a whim, only God and the devil is a whim. That's a whim club. <laughs> And think you got a monopoly on the whole world got a big problem. Meaning, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity is nothing but one ideology on the planet. You don't know nothing about the depths of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Zoroastrianism, and a million other philosophies or doctrines or religions that don't have nothing to do with your concept of belief. You only sound powerful because you're in a country that was owned and ruled and lived on by a group of people called Washita or Tulip from the ancient Almanac, the God who did not believe in that God and the Christian concept came over here with, uh, I mean, people who were Portuguese brought the Christian doctrine over here and spread it there and then later on Judaism came over here and then later on, Islam came over here, but the indigenous people of this land, the natives of what they call Americans, didn't know nothing about your God. And got wrecked that the Almighty was existing 900 years before Christ. Here, right on this land in America, 900 years before Christ, they're digging up heads right now in Mexico, called Anaximander. And there they find traces of a people that look just like you. Before the year 570, when Muhammad was born. Before Jesus was born. You understand that? We got a life and a culture that goes back way before that. We were called Moors by race. Way before more was synonymous with Muslims. They were more before they were Muslims. They were called Morenos before Muhammad was even born. Or more. The French way, before Muhammad was born. If I'm saying somewhere along the line, Islam bit its way into more. And now you got a bunch of 
people walk around saying, I'm a more scientist and raise their hand for this long. Don't realize that Islam is taking away from the greatness of being a moor because Islam was born in Arabia among Hindus and Turks calling themselves Arabs. And there was no Middle East. Look at the map again and then say Middle East. I shall call Say it. Now I'm going to say the word. I mean, think about Middle East. Where is that? You do it. Go to a blackboard anywhere. And do this, make a comment, and put Middle East there, right? Ha! How can there be a Middle East? <laughs> <laughs> and this is West, and this is East, and this is North, and this is South. How can this be the Middle East? <laughs> now, we know what the thing called the Far East. That's the Far East. This would be the Far West. This would be the Far North. And this would be as far south as you can go, as far west as you can go, as far east. But there is no such thing as a Middle East. There is no such thing as an Arab with natural roots. You will not trace Arabs to natural roots. You will trace the people back to a man called Jokhan, which will go back to Hebrew. But you will not find Arab as a race. The word automobile means automobile. And the word of it, I don't mean to roam about, to move. You know what I'm saying? They don't exist. There was no such thing as Saudi Arabia. That oil over there is ours. Our land extends from California to where? The Persian Gulf. There was no split. There was no red or green sea. That's a natural threat. That Atlantic Ocean did not exist. I showed them all that back in the northern. All those pieces fit right back in. Straight on down through South America. There's no such place as Puerto Rico. That just means that when they got there, he said, that's the richest port I've ever seen. So how now are you going to say that Puerto Ricans are poor people? And Puerto Ricans are minorities? And Puerto Ricans don't have nothing? And when you say Puerto Ricans, you're saying they're rich. Simon Amorite says, you Puerto Ricans, he's saying, you people from that rich port. Right. You say, well, what happened to the riches? What happened to the people of the port?
Then why did y'all create Salam and Shalom already existed? Shalom Alexa was good enough. And I talked to each other like that. One second. But they didn't even know this. So let me try it again. What does Assalamu Alaikum mean? What does it mean? No, it doesn't. The word Alay means what? On. Alaikum means on you all. Alay is not through you, it's not in you, it's on you the way that Tarbush or that Tahir or that Imma is on your head. This ain't close, or this simple. But it was tricky. Some demon got into this again. Understand? Yeah, yeah. If I say to you, Salam, peace, Alaikum, I'm saying peace on you. I'm not wishing you peace. I'm not saying peace to you. The peace is not seen, disguised in your heart, just not in your body, not in your head. It's I don't I on the body. So when Muslims greet each other, it's a subtle trick. That's why I got Shalom out of it. Rahu back in. Because I tell you, Assalamu Alaikum. The peace be on you. You don't need peace on you. You need to be in a peaceful state. Wa Alaikum Salam. And on you peace. Or Ma Salam. With you, peace. With, like, with mouth in Arabic. It's not with, like, in your character. That's anger. That's with, like, to accompany you somewhere. May peace walk beside you. Maybe that's why so many of y'all get hit by a car. Because you get hit and the peace gets away. <laughs> From the renewal. That's right. <laughs> How come we have not heard that in 1400 years? How come nobody in all this has stood up and said, no, Assalamu alaikum does not really mean anything. It's to help you. Just make peace be on you, on top of you. Like I put a glass on a little piece of table. I put a book on a desk out of Mexico. Is that real? And I put the print on the book, it would only be on the cover. So you could, if you say, I do Quran, the truth is on the Quran, you would not be saying the Quran has any truth. All right, now if you read the Subhanallah again, the first couple of verses, you're going to see that Allah, 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 Allah will be in. A feel on their heart, but they translated it in. Deception, height. Everybody knew we would come. Nobody knew when. Everybody knew this day and time would come. They were calculating, and we were calculating. And we are the best calculators. <laughs> because we have worked it out. So that is not no Moorish flag. That is a Moroccan flag. Unless the Moors they're talking about are more than all under the government of Morocco after the 17th century when that flag got there. And when Dus Ali 
Ibar was teaching no Jua Ali. Jus Ali was not using a Moroccan flag. Because also Marcus Moses Gaudi was also taught by Jus Ali. And Marcus Moses Gaudi introduced a red, black, and green, which was originally black, red, and green. The flag as found in the Sudan, the flag of the Mahdiya, with a spear and a crescent. That was the flag, black, red, and green. And all of your revolutionists throughout America, by whatever group or sect, are popping up the Mahdi flag. And don't even know. They got all these very black marches, all these red, black, and green flags, all of this snapped off. The fair crescent would symbolize the warriors of the Hajjah Dawah tribe that came down from the north to defend Sudan from Lower Egypt, actually, because the Maxi was from the Hajjah Dawah of the of the novel, a place. That was a place. So if I'm called John Malawi, that's a name after place. If I'm called Nubian, I'm named after place. But where am I by race? More. What is my nationality? More. If you don't be anything, don't be Afro-American, be a Morris American, they say that that's all right, but they got to separate that dog on Islam from it. Because we go back before Islam. All the pharaohs were Moors. And if you go to Europe and you read in any of their books in Latin, you follow? And don't let them, we got to stop letting them call Morris brothers Latinos who's not speaking Latin. We got to get away from that too. Y'all another one in the Roman trip. Like Negra and Negro, which I showed y'all in the Bible. The Greeks were calling us Negroes. If all that, the Romans were calling us Morenos. Jesus was called Morenos. You know that in most Latino families, because the mind has been a mess with the parents would tell them, don't be no lazy Morenos. <laughs> That's right, and you're telling me. Say no different your mother say, don't go hang out them low like niggas. The same principle. But somewhere on the line they made more synonymous with low life. So we gotta reinstate that. But we gotta make it clear to the modern science temple, we are your brothers. But only as far as the truth.
نشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الوالي الكريم وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحتي والمجدد لمن مرسلين Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it and that he is alone and has no part and that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sustainer of all the boundless universes all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the generous eternal friend and send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles and on the Messiah the anointed one and on the Mahdi the God and on the Mujadda the reformer which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. You are now listening to The True Light with As-Sayyid al-Imam Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi. Understanding that the cherubim are of the negative angels and the seraphim are of the positive angels and they are people who are spiritual descendants of these two natures, then why is it so hard for the people who feel that they are of the seraphim to dwell in the tabernacle? All of those people that are seraphim are magnetically attached to the community. Regardless of how far they travel, or what they see, or where they go, they have this desire to come into the tabernacle. Anyone who is at the door of the tabernacle is just listening. Like the Quran says, there are angelic beings who listen at the door when the Holy Quran is being recited, only to take those recitations out and pervert them. Many people, whether they're black or white, have become cherubim when they were seraphim by nature. Even the angel himself, Azaz and Lucifer, was an angel of pure light. He chose to go bad. So black people can go bad. So when you stall at the gate, Shaitan gets the best of you. He catches you when your consonance is down. He stands at the door, it says in Genesis, and waits for your consonance to drop. He waits at your weak point. He sends out slanders like he did to Job. He kept sending different men in his image to tell Job how the Lord has killed his family. And he kept saying, I alone have survived to tell you this. You've got to be careful because many people who have the essence of a seraphim, a seraphim are, are the pure archangels for those who want to know, and the cherubim are the wicked angels who fought against them before judgment. Many of them transform from angels of pure light into angels of fire and never even know it. Still say they're Muslims, still wear the dog, still say they're praying. That's another mistake a lot of pale Arabs tell people that Shaitan doesn't pray. That's not true. Shaitan will pray and his evil servants will also pray. And they will come in a masjid and pray next to you. They will read with you the Quran. They will try to guide you through the scripture their way. They'll not guide you on the Surah Al-Mustaqeem. They'll not guide you to the covenant. They'll guide you their way. And they'll keep on telling you this is how it really is. This is true Islam. This is the real way because the majority of the educated Arabs accept it. All those people who are educated in those different universities of Islam are not the ones Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides. Those are the ones that professors and teachers of different schools of thought guide. 
it's a big difference. So the point I'm trying to make is a Sedafin knows where he belongs and goes there. Your father, that's why he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. When that spirit was restored to David, when he had his soul restored, he said, he restored my, my soul. Then he followed by leading me to the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You see that? And he also left by saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now I'll dwell outside with my opinions. And you better be very careful, especially you people in there who might be sincere, about those people who sit at the door of the community. They've been in, they absorb a certain amount, and they sit at the door and pretend they're here, and they're out teaching, dressed like us, pretend they're us, never have no intentions of being in here. They're more of the devil's children than they are of Ansar. They have came in and have turned back. The Quran refers to them as the Munafik. The Munafikan, or some people translate it as a hypocrite, or the real word for Munafik means a divider, a divider. He divides himself from the community in certain aspects and pretends he's in with us at other times. He says he's with us, he says he's like us, he says he believes in the teachings, he says he'll, he'll, he, uh, the Imam he says his leader, etc, etc, but he's not in. He says, because I don't like this, and I don't like that, and this doesn't go this way, and I heard this, and I heard that. That is not a seraphim. That is a cherubim in black skin. And he can be as confused about whether or not he is a fallen angel as you can be about whether or not you are a rising angel. Inside his body, there's turmoil or legions pulling him in different directions. That is the devil getting the best of him. Because the righteous come in. The righteous are looking at the signs of the time and they come in. They don't waste no time. They're looking at the world, the events of the world, they're looking at plagues and diseases and they go right in. You understand what I'm saying? If you want to read the Revelation and get a better understanding, the 19th chapter. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Allahumma or Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our Creator, which they say is God. For true and righteous are His judgments. For He has judged the great whore, which is Babylon, the city that you're in, which did corrupt the earth, the whole world, with her fornication, and has avenged the blood of his servants and her hands, meaning the prophets and the saints that this harlot has destroyed, just to prevent the truth. And again, they, meaning the righteous inside heaven, who made it to heaven, which you read in the 23rd chapter, is referred to as the crystal city, said, Allahumma or Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. This is all a continuation of the book of Revelation chapter 18 about the smoke of Babylon. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped Allah that sat on the throne saying, Amen. It's over meaning. Hallelujah. Okay? And a voice came out of the throne saying, Alhamdulillah, praise our Creator Allah, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, taqwa, that's mustaqim, both small and great, be he a king or a servant. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as a voice of a mighty thunder saying, Hallelujah, that was a, a 
applause to the righteous who endured to the end, who got the crown of life, who stayed in the tabernacle, will be saying, hallelujah, that it's over. For the Lord, Allah, omnipotent, reigneth. He steps above all ye gods and the Messiah and all of your prophets. Now the whole boundless universe who is Rabbil Alameen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is Malik al yawmuddin He now rules as the omnipotent source over all. Now it says, let us be glad and rejoice. Remember Jesus said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Speaking about the people who will be slandered and persecuted and spoke out against false. He said, blessed are the persecuted. Remember that? Blessed were man shall revile thee and say, all manners of evil against thee falsely for my name's sake, because great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, he says. You understand? So it's the people we're talking about on the inside that we have to worry about people reviling and saying all manners of evil against us. They have all kinds of stories about Jama Ansarullah in the Bid Islamic Hebrews. It tells us to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And it follows up in that latter day in the, in the seventh uh, verse of the 19th chapter. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. And throughout the scriptures, whenever they speak of the marriage of the Lamb, they say it's to the tabernacle of the Most High. They say that it comes down as prepared as a bride, which we'll read as we go on. It'll prove it. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed. That means you were given the right. That's why it says it was granted that you should wear your white. It was granted that you should be arrayed in fine linen. Many Christian preachers try to imply that this wearing of white is a symbolic of your purity. No, it uses the word linen, which is a cloth, a white cloth. That John the Baptist and all the righteous have known for centuries to wear. And now if you go and look to Mecca, you see all Muslims come from different parts of the world wearing all kind of flowery colors and stupid costumes. But when they get around Beit Haram in Mecca, around the Kaaba, Allah Ta'ala tells them, be like Nabi Ibrahim al-Hanifan and wear that white, that simple white. But all throughout the Quran it tells us to be like Nabi Ibrahim. But they feel they can wear any color when they're outside of Mecca. No, Allah Ta'ala tells us by Hajj, by the pilgrimage, by the Hajj, that we should be wearing white at all times. And that's a sign of our purity, but it's also the garment of the righteous. Clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. That means we are living in the image and following in the sunnah of all of those prophets who was up until Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam, Muhammad, who was Khatim Anbiya, the seal of all of those prophets. Number nine, and he said unto me, write, speaking to John of course, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of Allah. And I fell at his feet to worship him. John, when he heard this, wanted to fall down and prostrate himself at the feet of the angel who was Mikael, the one who walks him through the books of Revelation, to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Isa. I am one of your brethren, for Jesus said, I send 
this angel in, in Revelation chapter 1 to signify my word you see and he's telling him I'm also a testimony because you're speaking in the reign of Jesus' time where John where the kalima would be completed with the word becoming flesh as Jesus not as Muhammad at that time so they would say la ilaha illallah Isa Rasulullah the way we after Muhammad came say la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah so that's why he claimed testimony to Jesus at this point because Muhammad had not yet come and he was speaking about the future world worship Allah though he made sure he put after testimony of Jesus worship who? worship Allah for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy so the testimony of Jesus is merely a spirit of prophecy but your worship is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only he alone has no partners and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war his eyes were flames of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with the vestures dipped in blood and his name is called Khalil Allah the word of Allah in the Holy Quran it teaches that Jesus was called Kalim Allah also he was still had the word of Allah with him alright and the armies which were in heaven notice to that followed him upon the white horse clothed in linen white and clean now this is talking about after the thousand year million when the 144,000 had been taken up to the crystal city there to be groomed by the Messiah Isa and Maryam who even in Al-Islam we acknowledge or you acknowledge would return you follow? now the devil had been locked up for a thousand years and let loose on the world like he does in the book of Job he let loose on the world with total temptation of all humanity and at this point those who had been in heaven for a thousand years those first resurrectionists are being ready to come back to wage war against the devil I feel sorry for you people who don't make the first resurrection because when the devil is let loose from the pit on earth he's going to wreak havoc that you've never felt before and his day is approaching 15 and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he could smite the nation and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treated the winepress what are we speaking about? he's talking about the judgment that the Messiah and the 144,000 is going to pass upon the world and upon Satan he's going to judge people by the tongue out of his mouth the two-edged sword out of his mouth is to cut up lies like a serpent sting he's going to come forth with truth the two edges are backed up by the languages of prophecy the speaking in tongues and in translation to make things clear in language 
This is the problem we have as teaching on Islam here in America and trying to resurrect people is they say we, we spend too much time on the words. It's the meaning of words that makes the scriptures clear because they called him the word. So you got to start with the word, the written word, and through that there you can make things clear. Instead he's going to judge and rule by a rod of iron. There's going to be a lot of suffering because they use that same reason that rod to calculate the number of the beast and to calculate those who are in the tabernacle from those who have given themselves over to become Gentiles. The wine press is mentioned as being as high as the bridle of a horse in Revelation, which is three feet from the ground, where it says blood will run through the streets at the height of a bridle. The horse's bridle stands three feet from the ground. The fourth is the wrath of the Almighty Allah. These 144,000 will come forth with the power of Allah to sting the world. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh the name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the reason why they refer to Isa and Maryam as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is because David himself was a Messiah, which is clearly mentioned in Psalms chapter 2. Every time you see the word anointed in the Bible, the word anointed means Messiah, Messiah, or Mesha, or Misha, depending on whether it's Arabic, Aramic, or Hebrew. But they'll translate Messiah into the word anointed when they don't want to mislead people into the truth by accident. <laughs> so they make you think that anointed is one word and Messiah is the next. Any biblical or Bible dictionary, you look up the word Messiah, they'll translate it anointed. So they had to point out that this final Messiah here was king of kings. His judgment is greater than the book of the king. Because they had prophets who wrote the book called the Book of Kings. And David taught out of that stuff in the Psalms of Solomon. And they were saying that this one is the King of Kings. Because he comes with grace. Grace is nitmah or forgiveness. And the Lord of Lords, he's over every rabbi that have ever existed. He's the master of all the rabbis. He no longer falls under Kohen. He no longer falls under Levitical law because he was not a Levite. So they had to establish that he was higher than all of them. Okay? And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowl that fly in the midst of the heavens come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great Lord or the great creator. Why did this happen? Because if we go back to the books of the prophet Noah, alayhi salatu wasalam, and how he was summoned before the judgment of the world of his time to gather all the animals together. Here we're speaking about the judgment again. And remember the first time the world was going to be judged, it was judged by water. But this time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it shall be judged by fire. So he called the birds to bear witness. Number 18, that ye may eat of the flesh of the king and the flesh of the captain and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free 
and bond, both small and great. Of course, the next question comes up, what is he talking about, about eating the flesh? Do you people have a Quran in there? If you do, turn your Quran to Surah Al-Fil, which is the Surah of the Elephant. Will someone read it? this way. They came forth with elephants riding to, to conquer and stomp all the people around the Kaaba and put their guards and their idols there. But Allah protected the Kaaba this way. Go ahead. Okay, second verse. Did he not manifest their scheming to destroy the Kaaba was given an error, the grave error? And consequently on them he sent airborne flocks throwing hot stones from Sijil. By throwing the stones from Sijil, he made their flesh raw, like kernels of quickly consumed corn and chewed hay. That's it. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alam dara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka biya sahabifil. Alam yaja'al kaydahum fi ta'zil. وَرَأَصَّلَا عَلَيْهِمْ طَيْرٍ أَبَهْتِيلٍ تَرْمِهِمْ بِهِجَارَةٍ مِّنْ سِجِّيلٍ فَجَعَلَهُمْ قَعَصِّمْ مَقْبُولٍ If you make note that Tairin in the third verse again, could you read it? Consequently, Consequently on them he sent airborne flocks. Tairin or the birds. He used, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used the birds. This, by the way, is where Alfred Hitchcock got his picture concept. He used the birds to attack these people who came out against the Mecca while he was put against the followers of Rasulullah This is how he protected them. And he will protect the 144,000 again when he calls the birds. I just want you to see that a lot of biblical quotes match directly to the Quranic meaning. If they just read the Quran, they'd see what they meant. If you ask the average Christian preacher what this is talking about, they wouldn't even know. Ezekiel 38, 18 also will speak about it. 19. Again. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So now the beast, the devil himself, had got his armies together and they are preparing to war against al Messiah and the 144,000. Notice that this is a replica of that story in the Quran, Surah Tufil, when those horsemen on elephants came to make war against Mecca, where Rasulullah Muhammad would be born and fell. Number 20, and the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet, not prophets, 
a false prophet, because there will be a flatterer who's going to come in the name of the Messiah and deceive the world, Daniel teaches. A false Christ who's going to rise up and fool the whole world. We call him Messi as the Jan in Islam. Many Muslims are going to drop their deen and follow this false prophet. That worked miracles before him. And this false prophet will have the power to perform miracles. Many times people ask me concerning Christian preachers and how do they heal. The devil has the power to heal. The devil was an angel. If I, you can heal in the name of Jesus Christ and be wrong. You can heal in the name of Buddhism and be wrong. With which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. His miracles and his falseness as a false Christ is how he's going to deceive people and give them the mark. Now in Al-Islam, Rasulullah Muhammad throughout the hadith, they keep making mention of, you know, the followers of Masih al-Dijala because they'll have a kafir on their forehead, the letter K. Now, what they have misinterpreted is that they have people looking for a letter K when it doesn't mean that. The letter K is symbolic of the kafir. And when you look at people who are living in the image of the beast, and if you look at the Arab world today, and if you look at the president of Egypt, no beard, no tagir, suit, tie, he's dressed like any other Britishman. And the same thing would be Syria, Jordan, Morocco, and even Saudi Arabia, and up until recently, even the Sudan. These people are living in the image of the beast. Therefore, when you see them, you see a K. You see a Kafir. They have the mark of the beast on them. The whole Muslim world is making a transition from following the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad, living the way he had prescribed for us to live, dressing the way he dressed, eating the way he ate, praying the way he prayed, and doing things the way he did it. Now we're following the hadith of men from different parts of the world who are altering them to suit their culture. Now there's Muslims dressing like Pakistanians and like Afghanistanians and some Arabs come here and they dress like Americans, put on little silly hats and plaid shirts and, and go to college in NYU and give up total Sunnah and then call themselves Sunnis and look at an Ansar and say we're not Muslims. What a joke. It tells you that you can expect to see them with the mark of the beast. And when one of them walks up to you in Arab, I don't care how, what country he's from, he walks up to you, the first thing you ask him, are you a Muslim? And ask him, is he a Muslim? And he says, yeah, I'm a Muslim, I'm from Egypt. Say, that don't make you a Muslim. <laughs> Following the way of the Prophet Muhammad, he left two things for you, Quran or Sunnah Following his way is what makes you a Muslim. And if I look at you from head to toe and I don't see you dressed in the likes of him, then you're not a Muslim. I don't care what white Arabs told you, how much flattery they give you, so that they can make friends with Christians and Jews after Allah tells us not to. Christians and Jews don't even understand their own doctrine. They're fighting each other. Holy Quran, chapter 2, verse 114 tells you that. They don't even know what they're talking about. They're fighting and they both have the same scripture. Or they're disputing about Abraham and their book came after him. 
yet the Muslim world is trying to emulate all these kings are trying to act like and live like the American world. An average Muslim, you see, if you call yourself a Muslim and he's not in a Sunnah, say you're not a Muslim yet. Then you may be trying to become a Muslim. And I don't care if you're born in Sudan, or born in Egypt, or born in Morocco, or born in Saudi. Now, if you're not just in the Sunnah, and you haven't found your way to the Sunnah, Rasulullah, don't tell me you're a Sunni. Because you're a hypocrite. And then, that worship, his image. Our people now worship his image. Our women straighten their hair. They put them in blue contact. Stop trying to live in his image and put back on your garb of righteousness. And all you people who slid out of your jellabies and slid back into American clothes and plaid caps and checkered shirts, slide right back into the path of righteousness. Because judgment is near. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, which is another word for sulfur. The 16th Revelation 13 chapter would also support that. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowl were filled with their flesh. 15, 17 in Revelation will back it up. And 18 as well as 1760 in the Revelation to back it up. Those that are left over after the devil and the false prophet is cast in a fire and brimstone, then the 144,000 will destroy you themselves. You will be destroyed also. Those who are the remnant will be slain. You'll be destroyed. When we destroy you, will be with the tongue of our mouth. The way the Ansar Allah community is coming forth now into the world and we put everybody on the spot and we question everybody's teachings and we make them question their leaders and their leaders can't answer so all they do is they don't believe those people. <laughs> but you cannot stop the truth of the Ansar Allah community. And that's what they know. All of Sunni Muslims and the Shiites and all the different groups and the Bilalians and, the, and everybody that hates our community they can talk about everything about our morality about the moral conduct. They can create all kinds of stories on I heard this and I heard this. I heard he has all these millions of wives and all these millions. They can create all that everything. And you say, forget the man. Okay, he don't count. What about the truth? Let me ask you some questions about the Quran or about the scripture. It can't go. That's what you judge by. Let's read on. Now we move on to number 20. And I saw an angel come down. This is Mikhail from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Revelation 12, 9. We'll give you another description of Satan. Now, Mikhail comes down after this, after that thousand year period, after this rage war, and he grabs a hold of Satan. The false prophet, remember, is already gone. Now Satan himself is left. What does he do with him? He's going to bound him up again. And bounds him a thousand years, and gathers him into the bottomless pit, 
and shut him up and set the seal upon him. You see that ring on your finger? It has a six-pointed star and crescent. That ring you wear on your finger with the six-pointed star and crescent is the seal that can bound the devil. You can't get around him. How many of y'all who wear that ring have had a devil walk up to you and say, Do you know what that means? Have you know it? Bear witness. White man will see that ring on your finger and say, Excuse me, can I see that symbol a minute? And his face will fall apart. He'll go, what does that mean? Is that, is that Islam? Is that Judaism? Ooh, what are you? You say, I'm an Islamic Hebrew. He goes, a what? An Islamic Hebrew. I follow the religion of Abraham. So it's not possible. You can't be an Islamic and be a Hebrew. And say, you're right. You can. I can. <laughs> I am the nation that Father Abraham was talking about. You knew I was coming. You knew I'd come like a thief in the night. You didn't think we were going to tell you he was here. While Honorable Elijah Muhammad was preaching, and while Noah Jirali was preaching, and while Sheikh Dawah was preaching, and while the Sunni Muslims and Ahmadiyya was preaching, we wasn't preaching, we were building. We came like a thief in the night. He just looked around, and we were here. When we looked around, the rest of them, they said, I just looked around, and they were gone. <laughs> he just looked around, and we're here. And now he has to contend with this new thing. The doctrine is unstoppable. He knew it. But that seal, you better get your seal and keep it on because it's your protection against it. Don't let nobody fool you.
your man is not promising you jack with a hurricane on its way into Georgia in two days. And he ain't telling you nothing. He said, Puerto Rico got hit, the islands in the Caribbean got hit, and guess who they call it? What's that little creature with this, who's got the color like this here? What's his name? Bonnie. <laughs> hurricane coming. It's called Hurricane Bonnie. Now what are they trying to do that to kids for? <laughs> now Bonnie comes through and tears up the house and kids are going to be, you know, it's much like, it's like, like your uncles and fathers go hunting for deer on Christmas Eve. And while the child is waiting for the reindeers to come, they might walk into the garage where the uncles and pops had gutted the deer. They open the door, they open the door and they see Rudolph hanging up there with his guts hanging outside. Trauma for the kids messed up for life because of that. They can't do nothing about the phenomena of nature. Meanwhile, while you have to ask yourself, why would they waste their time messing with the Nuwabians, as they like to call it, Nuwabians? Why would they be messing with the Nuwabians at this close proximity to destruction? I mean, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not going for the, oh boy, he's a doomsday preacher. You don't have to believe, you don't, <laughs> I do not care if you don't believe this stuff getting ready. I don't care if you don't believe the meteorites are coming. Your government knows it. <laughs> you know what? This week they had on the news that they uh, figured out a way to regrow the bones. And they figured out a way to reanimate tissue. Now, no, that's on the news. We have, you know, we, 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 we stay in there. Did anybody, did anybody hear about it? Well, we did. Check it, go on your computer. Or people of, of African descent, keloid, is because there was a time where we were able to rip our limbs as gods. They thought I was crazy. They said, that nigga is nuts. Anywhere in the world, you have their arm cut off and it regrow. Well, now the scientists are saying they can regrow limbs. They can, your, your bone can be cut off here, and they have a way now where that bone will go back and that flesh can grow back. Well, they grew an ear on a rat, and y'all saw that on television. Well, of course, they can grow your finger back. What does that mean? It means one thing, that the scientific community is being exposed to things they never was exposed to before. Whole new science. Carson is ready to have an operation to repair his ear. He may be in line for a remarkable new technology being developed here at the University of Massachusetts. A technology that won't just fashion him an ear from existing tissue, but one that through tissue engineering will actually grow him a new one. This is an example of growing an ear in the shape of a human ear on a rabbit ear. So it's actually an ear grown on an ear. That's just one of the wonders Dr. Charles Vacanti of the UMass Medical Center has created. His most memorable to date is this now famous mouse with a human-shaped ear growing on its back. The ear was made from cow cartilage, which grows much more easily than human tissue. But Vacanti has since been able to grow ears made of human cartilage in mice. I think we're very, very close. I suspect probably less than two years, probably within a year, of doing the same thing in a human. For example, if this was Carson's ear, we would first make a mold of his ear. 
To engineer tissue, Vacanti first molds a biodegradable scaffold in the shape of the body part, then covers it with the appropriate cells. As the cells grow, the scaffold melts away, leaving what just a few years ago would have seemed impossible. As a medical advance, I suspect that tissue engineering will be as significant as antibiotics. It's not just ears Vacanti is creating, but other structures like a windpipe and hard-to-repair bone. He's also found a way to make nerve cells divide and grow, a potential treatment for brain and spinal cord injuries. Other scientists are growing organ tissue, and Vacanti foresees a day when injured or ill people will have replacement parts grown for them. For example, you have liver failure. Instead of having to wait until a donor liver is available, I believe you will be able to engineer a liver of your own cells. Grow your own liver. Grow your own liver. Something else we mentioned, they recently mentioned, I don't know if y'all know, I hope y'all did. They talked about children and the father's only 10% of the child now and the mother's 90%. What? Do you know that? Well, yeah. See, here's what happened. This is going to get into your doctrine in a way where if you really get into it, you go, oh, man, you don't know the doctrine, this might not catch you. The, um, Woman, the woman's body, mitochondria DNA, which predates man by a thousand years, when woman was God. Woman's body has a defense mechanism in it. Do we agree? Yes. Like a man's body. No, somebody say. Well, if you take alien blood from anybody, I'll make it clear, and inject it into a woman, in six to eight weeks, her blood will overthrow that alien blood. You know, that's why they have to be very careful with transfusions that they get people who have the same type of blood because your body will reject it. Now, transplanting organs has proven that to be a fact. That if they give you someone else's heart, the problem is always what? Rejection. Why does it reject it? Because your body has a built-in mechanism for it to defend itself against alien properties of all kinds. And even in the blood, ask anybody about blood. If you inject blood, if you, have to, if you have to get a transfusion, your body will overthrow that blood in six to eight weeks or that blood, or it will eventually kill you. If they add a liver to your liver, they have a certain amount of cells. They must keep your body constantly uh, filled up with, what do they call it? No. Anti what? I'm trying to but I'm trying to get simple about it. Is the way we use um not antibiotics, uh, it goes you have a, a body that attacks everything. Your immune system, thank you. They gotta keep inject, injecting you with serums to keep your immune system extremely high. They right now say if you have cancer and you have a very high immune system, then you can of course take radiation, chemotherapy, but if you don't, it'll kill you. That's understood. Well that's because it's alien to the body. You with me so far? All right. So now, once you establish the immune system and keeping the immune system, so therefore any alien organs would be able to survive for a period of time, but they have not succeeded yet with any transplants. Right here in your lower abdomen. This is an intriguing thought to patients suffering from kidney failure, like Kate Sullivan. Faced with a lifetime of dialysis, she recently had to ask someone close to her to make a difficult decision. My sister and I are super close, and 
I couldn't think of anybody else that would go through the kind of surgery that it is. I mean, it's not, it's not simple and there's a lot of pain involved and a lot of healing. And I don't think you can just ask anybody to do that. As soon as I found out that she needed a kidney and that a living related donor would be the best one, I said that she could have mine. The transplant was a success. And a few months later, Kate was in excellent health and well on her way to a full recovery. But Kate must still take 29 pills every day to stop her body from rejecting her sister's kidney. A kidney from her clone would be a perfect match. If I needed a kidney and I could get one from a clone, I would definitely do it. Because the most important thing would be that you wouldn't have to take the anti-rejection medicine. Because I see what my sister's gone through and I think that's the hardest thing about the kidney operation is that she has to take so much medication. And since Kate's new kidney may only last for 10 to 20 years, she may have to go through the transplant process again. At that time, human cloning may be an option. It has always been rejected. No one has succeeded. If they extended the period of time, you know, but it doesn't last ever. Eventually, the alien's uh, organ dies. All right, so then, if a man and a woman are together, sexually, that is, when a man releases semen into the woman, it's what? It's alien to her. What is the first thing her body thinks to do? Protect. But they found out, scientists, that there's a certain part of the brain that triggers and it releases a serum that creates a egg inside the womb of the mother. It's an egg or a bag, a pouch. You follow that? And the baby or the fetal is in this bag. And it's kept in a lubricant, lubricant of water that is producing the hormone so that it is actually fighting against her invading the baby and killing it. When the, when, the, when the brain does not trigger this properly, you hear me? And it doesn't send enough of these defense mechanisms, there's a miscarriage. Right? If too many of these things get in the bloodstream and into the baby, when the baby is born, within six to eight weeks, there's cradle death. It still attacks the baby. They'll tell you they don't know what cradle death is, because they don't know. <laughs> but it's a scientific fact. So now, what actually happens is, the baby in the womb of the human female as a mammal is living in a sack of water. Has anybody here been raised on farm? Good. Well, I mean, you see a hen laying egg, right? Does it come out hard or soft? A lot of, a lot of city folk might not know that. When a, no, not Johnny, but they don't. Uh, when a hen lays an egg, it's soft. You follow? And then when it hits the air, it begins to harden. The same thing happens with the placenta of the woman. When they first remove it from the woman, it's soft. In just in a couple of minutes, it starts to harden up the clots. Where am I reaching at? I'm reaching at the fact that women have an egg inside of them. That they really give birth to an egg. But unlike the, the chickadee, it cracks the shell on the outside of the body. You call it my water breaking. And the egg breaks inside and the baby comes forth. 
And sometimes they'll say, the egg collapsed and put a thin veil over the baby's face. And uh, let's say the medieval doctors who didn't quite understand what that meant said that baby was born with a seventh veil. Had a, had a veil over his face. That's a mystical baby. He's going to be psychic or clairvoyant or something. And that passed all the way down to grandma saying seventh kid, seventh kid of a seventh kid has a seventh veil on his face. All that was was the shell of the egg collapsing. Got your attention, don't you? Well, science is very interesting. I've always told y'all for years, study science. Because once you master science, religion looks funny. I mean, it looks real cute, but it's a nice, it's a nice institution. People need it. People need it. it. Keeps them out of trouble. But it has nothing to do with this. What are we saying here? We're saying that human beings are a form of mammal that has an egg inside, and the baby is developed in a liquid substance. So, thus, the baby is breathing with gills and does not inherit its lungs until it comes. And sometimes in the hospital, they have to pump water out of the baby's lungs. Showing that the, just like the, the movie, uh, the, what's it called? The Abyss. That the lungs were full of water until it... So there's a transformation or a metamorphosis from a sea creature with, with gills to a land creature with lungs within that period. You the frightening part about it is that when we go back to religious doctrine, especially Western world religious doctrine and Middle Eastern religious doctrine, such as Islam and Christianity, we get this character called the devil who becomes a serpent. A snake. Now, of course, in our doctrine, we've always had a problem with a talking snake in the garden. So it didn't ever sit with us that a snake was holding a conversation with Eve. Didn't make sense to us. And that was our way of, of asking them to explain it. We understood he was a Drago. We understood Drago and Dragon is in the Bible. As Tainini. We understood that. Right? But they didn't. So it was more fun to say, we're talking about, you know, how a snake could talk who they're calling the devil in Genesis chapter 3, who travels all the way to Revelations as the dragon. But this being called the devil was identified with a serpent. When they say Leviathan, again, if they give it, you look it up in the Bible, they say oh, a big sea creature. Tainim, a walking dragon, right on the temples of Babylon, they used to have the drawings of a snake with legs. All right. Then scientists admitted that the original snake had hips. We've shown that in our book. If the original snake had hip bones, then it had legs. Then, like the Bible will now on your belly shell you go, unless the scientists do that before and wrote that after, on your belly shell you go and days your life became, oh, so the snake once walked around on four with a snake body and dropped down. Well, that's the Komodo dragon. That's why a whole bunch of kids are attracted to having um, lizards and, what's the other one they have in their houses? 
the iguanas and they're attracted to this creature while people wrap snakes around them and keep snakes and stuff as pets and feed their snake chickens, little chickadees like it's okay, and watch them consume it. There's some, there's some uh, parental <laughs> tie to the lizard and the monkey to make the man. The monkey being uh, the uh, mammal that uses its lungs and the le lizard being the uh, repti reptilian that uses its gills and lays eggs. Now, some reptilians lay eggs on land, some reptilians lay eggs in sea, and some reptilians keep the eggs inside their body and deliver them just like a human being does after the fetal has reached its growth stage. You hear me? What is coming into reality is that when we go back to ancient Tamara, the original name of uh, Egypt, and we look into our own ancestors, when they speak about the birth of the world, they speak about the primordial egg. You remember that? Western world stole it and called it the goose that laid the golden egg. Okay. The goose that lays the golden egg is a goose that lays the sun, because the sun has always been a symbol of your gold. And they also stole it and came up with the stork that delivers the baby. Now let's combine the two. The goose that lays the golden egg and the stork that delivers the baby says that children are coming from a bird. We have three powerful birds in ancient Tamara. The falcon, the hawk, and the buzzard. Those are the three most powerful birds. The reason why they call them the most powerful birds is because Ra, Amun, and Horus all shared symbols throughout the writings and hieroglyphics where they, they were at one or other times depicted as one of those birds, all of the birds. The wise bird, of course, was the owl. But what separated the owl from the other three birds is that he's the only bird with his eyes in the front of his face like a human. No other bird on the planet has his eyes in the front of his face, and he's also a nocturnal hunter like humans. Say what? Well, see, humans see better in the dark than they do in the light. And this is why when they walk into a dark room for the first couple of minutes, they can't see. And after a few seconds, things start coming to shape and form. We really see better in the dark than we do in the light, but we've been told cut on the light to see our way around. Because the people who govern us and create the laws don't see well in the dark. So they got to lighten everything up. You hear me? But way back then, they said that Ra, the sun deity, came from noon. Noon, the Muslims even stole it and put it in the Quran as an initial letter, noon. And they said noon represents the what? The well that Jonah was in. It's also in the Hebraic teachings too. Noon. The well that Jonah was in. You see that? Man inside of a fish. Or man in fish. Now the definition given in ancient Tamara for the man in the fish or the human reptilian was a papi. Or papa. What is that? Father. That's the Pope. 
He wears a fish-shaped hat and identifies with an ancient Babylonian deity called Dagon, which identifies with an ancient Malian fleet of gods that came from heaven, and the tribe is called the Dogon, and the beings that came to them were called the Namus, and they were supposed to, according to Dogon writings, hear me? roam at night only and go into the sea during the day. So they live in the sea. Well, then we go to Sudan and we find that they say beneath the Nile there are beings that live there, Denaire. You understand? And these, they say, in their traditions, these beings come out at night to teach human beings and stay in the water by day. It's like at night you instinctively say, it's night time, I'm going to go to bed, I must take a bath and get into water. You get up in the morning and say, well, I'm getting ready to face the world, I got to go take a, boy, my skin is dry, I must moisture it, otherwise what will happen? My scales will start to show. We call it rashiness and ashiness. But what we're really saying is, if I don't keep the outer surface of my skin moist, I will dehydrate and scale off and can scrape off dead skin like any other reptilian. Oh yeah. Certain human beings' jaw bones are constructed where their front teeth and their bottom teeth don't touch. Their back two teeth connect. Oh, a lot of people. They're round. Okay. She's she's, on. I got them. They don't touch. They have a round, you know, their mouth is round. You ever see that? Because those other mammals and stuff chew their good. So they constantly chew their food over and over with their back teeth, swallow it into one stomach or the other, and then regurgitate it again and chew it again, like cows and stuff called chewing their good. You see? But certain, for some reason, certain of us human beings, if we all come in one strain, certain of us have the mouth of a fish. We have this obsession that it is romantic to make love near the water on the beach. It is natural to go into the water to bathe before we make love. You follow? We drink water all day. Otherwise, we will de- Doctors say, you better keep taking in liquids. If you took a fish and put it in a container, the only way you can keep that fish alive, if you don't put it back in water, is to do what? Keep on putting, keep it wet. You all hear me? So in our ancient days, in ancient, in our time, ancient, I don't know what to do with y'all. Back in ancient Egypt, in ancient Sumeria, they say the same thing. A fish man came out of the Tigris Euphrates and taught the Sumerians. Now the An- Anutu, Anutu is the name they have before they get to Gi or Ki. When they get to Gi or Ki, Anutu changes into Anunaki. And that's Anu, Na, and Gi, or Ki, or one of the names for the planet Earth. Ancient 
Egyptian or Tamara name for the planet Earth was Tanin. Tanin. Tanin is in your Bible where they have serpent. Not in Genesis chapter 3, they purposely selected another word, Nakash. And they uh, selected that word Nakash because it means divination in Hebrew or to whisper. And of course, the Muslims who steal everything from the Jews brought over into the Quran and simple math and call it Khanash. Nakash, Khanash. And in the Quran, it's still written up as the whispering devil. You hear me? So we have a tie-in to people coming out the water and teaching us whether it was in Mali at the Dogon, which also would cover Senegal and Morocco and uh, Mediterranean, all the Moorish places because all that was one at one time. Then we have El Gore. Al-Ghor, which is where Arabia and all that area was, and they have in their writings that fish people, people who were half human have fish in some form of fashion, came out and taught them. And then we go into Egypt, and we have the primordial egg coming up out floating along the sea, and coming out of the water was Ra, right? And from Ra, of course, Atum. Uh, gave birth to, to that rock principle, and we have those three moods of the of the ray, because really it's the ray, not rock. And those three moods of the ray was atum, atun, and amun. And atun was also referred to as simply tun. He was tun in the morning, and he was he was I'm sorry, atun in the morning and tun in the evening, where apparently, or as they say, the sun sets, where set, or the setting of the sun comes in, where they travel the darkness through the shadow and come back around again each morning for the sun to come back. But still, it meant going beneath the sea. They didn't look at the sun in ancient Egypt as going beneath the land. They saw it as going beneath the sea, and they would go down in the morning at the sea and they wait for the sun to come over. And they say, God walked the water up to them. This was the ancient sun worship custom. And what they were looking at is the sun apparently to come over the horizon and as it traveled the water, they stood on the, on the dry land near the beach in the morning, their hands raised up and they watched it and they watched it come up and they did this with it until the sun bathed them in the warmth and the vitality and, and, and they knew that that was a rays that would grow their food and they gave thanks at that moment. That was Babylonian, Egyptian, African, Mayan, Aztecian, Eskimo, everybody except the Christian. And of course, the Christian regurgitated and gave birth to Muslims. Which means they took portions of Christianity and Judaism and fabricated their own religion. Alright, called Islam. But even it is based on the sun. And Christianity is based on the sun. It's just that they made the sun a man and called him 
the Egyptians made the sun Ray a man and called him Amun. So he became Amun Ray, Lord Jesus Christ. The Hindus did the same thing. The Dogon did the same thing. They all prayed to the sun. You follow? And the sun is the most deadly thing that a reptilian can get caught in. Because the sun will. So it was hell to get caught in the sun. So they created from the Greek word Helios, from where the Egyptians, or the Greeks called the Egyptian city Heliopolis, Helios, hell. And so the people, one time, no one thought hell was down. They thought hell was up. They thought as you go toward the sun, or that the sun was coming down to earth to burn everybody. That's in the Bible. Coming down to earth to burn you up. In fact, they say in the Bible, the Lord will no longer destroy the world by water, but moreover by fire. They're thinking of the fire burning the whole world up. The only being that would be afraid of the sun would be being that are afraid of dehydration or the people who could not dive back into the water away from the sun until it passes its three stages. And only people that understood sun worship and Atun, Atun, and Amun would know the stages. You see? So Christianity set it up where to look like they know, they worship on Sunday. You see? And they put a halo or halo, Helios, a ring of gold around Christ's head, which is the iris of the god Ray of Egypt, a circular. And so the Greeks knew his name was Asaru, so they called him Osiris. And put the big O there, because if you look in any science book under the symbol of the sun, you get a big cipher for O. Yeah, that? And Lu meant primitive. Lu cipher 
meant primitive cipher. Yeah. Lucifer became a primitive cipher over bright morning star, which is the sun. So Christ was called the early morning star, and then in Isaiah, Lucifer is called the bright morning star, both representing the sun disk. You hear me? So there is a relationship between mortals here, men, women, and reptilians. That's why, if you hold up your hand and look at it, it's yours, you can do it. <laughs> Stretch your fingers as far as you can apart, and now turn over and look back, and look between here, and you'll see you once had webs. You may not like the way it looks. But if you have skin that must stay moist, if you have the ability to reanimate limbs, if you have webs and scales and, and need water, and then we'll take a hen's egg and eat it soft scrambled or write out the egg, mix it up for vitality. Do you know that snakes hunt down other snake eggs and turtle eggs, they swallow them, and then they spit out the shell. So when you're having that sunny side egg, and your wife say, that's slimy looking, why are you eating that? That slimy egg that you're eating is an identification with your reptilian nature. That obsession with swimming pools and beaches and, and salt water, the moment you jump into salt water, you, it goes right into your head and clears it up. So man, I had a cold before I died in here. All of dust and mucus that was in the air just went out through that guy in the salt, in a, in a salt water. Why? Why are you so comfortable in salt water? Why, you, why is it? Now listen, if I took salt and threw it in your face, what would happen? What would it do to your eyes? So how come you can open your eyes in the salt water in the beach? And the salt that you get is from the salt water in the beach. Why is it that once you get back under the water, your body readjusts immediately and your nerves in your eyes do not pick, the, do not pick up the salt as something that's attacking it, but you're able to... You ever do this? Why is it? Because you'll have the ability to readapt to your original environment. Because if you went right, if me and you went to the beach right now and dived under the water, we could open our eyes. And if I went right to the house and got a sea salt and threw it in your eyes, you'd have a fit. <laughs> so what happens is, when you're standing on dry land, your, your, your body calibrates where you are and adjusts itself for where you are. And when you dive in the water, the moment it hits the water, your body has to recalibrate itself and adjust it to where you are. You follow? Just that quick. So there are reptilians, like the alligator and the crocodile, who can come out of the water and stay on dry land for a while, longer than they should. And then, while breathing air, go back in, especially hippopotamus, which is why hippopotamus is the highest god in Egypt, then go back in under the water and leave underwater, hippopotamus. Or the Lent to you 
which I'm going towards, the well, which they also proved was on land before it got into the water, still has its lungs, and your ancestor, the dolphin, who transported your seed here to this planet to be, to be germinated and grown here. <coughs> Dolphins are your ancestors. That is, you have a relationship to the dolphin. You know? <laughs> you can go to SeaWorld and Disney World and watch a whole bunch of times going, tree, 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 tree. the dolphin won't come nowhere near them. You walk over there and make one sound like a dolphin and they'll come look. Look up at you. And look to see if you know. And if you don't know, they'll just go in about their business. <laughs> if they see you know, they'll stick their head up. They'll pat them and they'll go back and work. So much for your relationship to the reptilians or the sea creatures. Let's get back. Let's get into other subjects. Right? Unless that you got hooked and you want to say. <laughs> Boy, you better dance. Ninety percent of the child, the party that he missed, ninety percent of a child between a male and a female is the female. Because all of the the components to make up the child is coming from her. The man is in distress, the semen is in distress from the moment it gets in the body because the woman's natural antibodies are going after it to destroy it because there's something alien until his brain... Right. Because the baby takes from her um, immune system to right. protect themselves against, you know... The baby, to protect his notice that the, if the baby has to go, has to trigger something in the brain. So it, otherwise the mother will kill the baby. This extends out of the womb and it's called postpartum, where women can flicker and beat their babies to death with a spoon or throw it out the window or put it in the oven and they do all kinds of things. And the doctors have written that off as a, you know, a mental defect, you know, it's, but, but, but accept it, yes. Well, um, at least, uh, well, it's all after the six months, at least. After the six months, you should stop having sexual relationships and care more about training your body and exercising and preparing to um, yield a basketball <laughs> as opposed to, you know, stimulate, you know, for pleasure. You know, because that's your body, that, your body does have to be prepared for that. But if, if during that period of time, the man ejaculates the woman, semen ain't going anywhere anyway. Cause Everything closed up. Huh? No, I'm saying because the brain is now, since she became pregnant, the brain produced the serum to protect it, so it won't, it won't, it won't, it won't be of any harm at all. Brother way up there. Uh, what happened is, dolphins are beings from the Cirrus star, Cyrus, they call it, Cyrus star, and the Neptunal 
which is the Egyptian name for the Anunnaki, used them to put the seed of human beings in the dolphin in order to transport it from one place to the other. They do that now in laboratories. They'll take the egg of one animal and inject it into another animal in order to fly it from one laboratory to the other side and then take it out and then inseminate it inside to inside of an egg for development. When they were bringing the, uh, let's say, the fish man from Cyrus, which is a, a predominantly water planet, to Earth, they did it in a sea creature called a dolphin, which is much, much, is a little different than he looks today. He's also evolutionary. And then injected it here in the, in the, in the monkey, right? Because you have two different seeds there. You have the gibbon, which goes into the, to the chimpanzee, and then you have the other one who went to the, the baboon and the jackal. Um, from the, the baboon, <laughs> I don't want to go that far. I want to go to the baboon and the orangutan, which is the Caucasian side of the monkey. And then you have the gibbon, which, which is the working thumb. That's why we have more coordination than they do. You know, we're, we're much more agile than them. Because the monkey that's in our genes is called a gibbon, and he has working... His hand works, he can grasp things, whereas the orangutan can't grasp nothing unless he holds it like this. He doesn't have a working thumb, his thumb is too far down. This is why there are a lot of Tamil who, you notice, if you look at their toes, their toes are extremely long. And sometimes the first three, the first toe is real short, the next two, three is like all three the same size. Their hand structures are a lot different now, and they literally, understand the racist statement, this is science, this is fact. And they literally move different than we do, bodily-wise. They don't know how we move the way we do, how agile or colorful as they their term for it is. But they use those scientists, those gods, those Netaru, those Anutu, the Namus, use the dolphin to transport the gene to Earth from Cirrus and then the laboratories, Shimti, on Mars, which they found the laboratories on Mars, in a place called Sidonia, and they're trying to cover it up, cause, but it's too late. Everybody knows the truth now. There's life on Mars, and that's, and they have now, then they transported it here to Earth. And they use these other biological entities, or some biological, some of them are mechanical, which called graves, which they made from mammals on this planet. And they like made a Frankenstein, the whole concept of the Frankenstein movie that they show you, is when the Anunnaki were making graves and they used these graves to go into environments that they who have the same anatomy like you and their planet Sirius had the same type of atmosphere as yours which is another name for risk, right? They used, they, they had to use beings that could go into other planets like Mars where they couldn't survive on that and then those beings went there and built spheres. We discussed this the other day. They'll call it, uh, they'll say that planet Earth has, is a biosphere. And it's not a biosphere, because bio means two. And sphere is any specific place where life or matter exists. So we have the ability to live under the ground. We have the ability to live in water. We have the ability to live in air within the Earth's atmosphere. And then we have the ability to live now with space stations outside. So we don't have a biosphere, we have a quadrosphere. And if they come and create a dome structure and move people in it, now we got a what? It's going into a, what's a fifth? 
a quick, a quick now becomes a quick so sphere. But they'll say we have a biosphere. We are living in several different atmospheres on the planet Earth at the same time, and several different life forms are living together in each of these spheres, but only one or two of them are capable of living beneath water in a space station. Like if I fly from here to, um, let's say, Asia, I may spend 17 hours in a plane. If I'm there, as long as I stay in any environment more than eight hours, I've altered the, the natural course of things, which means I should spend eight hours sleeping, eight hours eating, and eight hours digesting and dissipating. That's the three-eighths that make up the 24 hours in a human being. If I spend 17 hours in the air, I get jet lag, my body has to go through change, I have to readjust, I have to be recalibrated when I get my feet on the ground. It's the same thing if you go swimming and you mess around in water too long, when you get on the ground, you're, the, when you get back on the ground, your body feels real strange. That strange feeling is your body you know, touching the ground, dealing with levity, gravity, density, moist, and it's recalibrating itself. And then a couple of minutes after that, you feel normal again. You understand? You okay now? and never explained it. And oftentimes, uh, when once the messenger was gone, and Farrakhan wasn't really close enough to him to have gotten the true message from the messenger, because he wasn't really under him. If I now ministers to test him, will put him on the stop the spot and ask him, what is triple darkness? No, he don't know. Whereas where D. Muhammad, his son, did know what triple darkness meant. But now he has shifted doctrines from Nation of Islam, Islam, to Sunni Muslim Islam, he's not saying, you know, what so what they're talking about in the womb and a woman being triple darkness is they're talking about when the sperm and the ovum come together, nobody sees it. When the eggs are being produced in the ovum, nobody sees it. If all that, and when the baby is finished making this total tumble in the womb and starts this journey outward, nobody sees it. So these three, these three major stages are all done in darkness. And that's what they were alluding to in the nation of Islam as triple darkness. Go ahead. I just spoke about the law earlier. Would it be good for Milwaukee to get a legal education outside of Georgia and both in another state like Alabama? Definitely. I mean, I, I don't know what, I don't know what or who is telling anybody whatever they are. I encourage all the Wapians to get an education and to get the best education we can get for what we need. 
What's said is the day and time we're in. Jabal, that's the that's a frightening part. We're at such we're so near. That's a lot of noise, right? Sound <laughs> like a motorcycle club. We're so near to these calamities that not me, not me, uh, Amanubi or Akapah is telling you all about who's predicting. Not me, but scientists, astronomers are telling people about meteorite showers coming and a large meteorite and, and people are acting like there's nothing going on. They're telling about the ice caps melting. They're telling about the warming, uh, global warming and the greenhouse effect. And then they're even telling them about the computer crash in 17, 16 months. And the people are acting like nothing's going to happen. Well, what's going to happen is if they don't, uh, uh, are not able to change the number system in the computer between now and 16 months, all the electricity is going to shut down. The pumps are going to shut down. The hospitals are going to shut down. Everything that works by computers. The planes will have to stop flying. That means the diseases are going to get rampant. And what they're doing also because of the heart project, I want to keep you out there too long, right? Because of the heart project, as I mentioned last week, they are now altering the climate to make this a tropical environment so that they can culture more bacteria. Because they have already figured out, and, and there's a scientist, and I've, I've emailed it, I hope you all can confirm it, scientists from South Africa who admitted that they had put together teams of scientists who were studying the human body for black people only, and what level bacteria attack us where it don't attack them, and that they have succeeded in making certain types of bacteria to go into foods that we like, and in the, in the article in the internet, they actually list the kind of foods and they know that we like. And it's this and if these bacteria have been put in there and it's already inside our body. It may sound crazy, but go because I know one time you don't believe me, check it out. Go ask them. Go look in the computer. They are revealing right now about these diseases that are already in my and your body. The reason why we don't know it is because we're all sick. We're all having this metal taste in our mouth. We're all having this nasal drip. We're all getting these repeated headaches all the time. This happens to everybody. We get this time where we just don't want to eat the food that we like. We're getting these flashes of nausea. And then a woman says, I think I'm pregnant. Find out she ain't pregnant. Well, they've already put the bacteria in the air, not just in the water. They know the food you like. They know the restaurants you frequent. They know your style. They gave it to your kids in school. They gave it to your relatives in the hospitals. They gave it to your brothers and sisters in the military. You both, we found out that they don't eat what we eat. All you have to do is spend some time with a Caucasian family and you'll find they don't eat the same things you eat. They don't drink the same liquids you drink. You hear me? They have all that stuff prepared to break you down because you're at a point in time's time where you're metamorphosizing from a mortal into a god. That sounds crazy because of what they did to your mind with the fanatical monotheistic beliefs. And the word monotheistic comes from an ancient Greek god called monos of sarcasm and pain. Look it up. Monotheos means sarcastic, painful theories. And that's what it's based on. If you don't believe what I believe, you're going to hell. If you ain't a Baptist and get dumped in some water reptilian for salvation, you're going to hell. If you ain't a Muslim and say, La ilaha illallah, Allah is going to send you to hell until you ask him, where is hell? 
or simply wasn't where it held. Exactly where is it, Mr. Muslim man? Exactly where is it? Well, it's down. No, it ain't down here. Scientists that went straight through the planet. No, it ain't down here. Well, where is heaven? Up there. How far? They say heaven is further than the furthest star. And one, of, and one of the nearest stars are millions of light years away. But see, when they talk like that, we don't have a clue. We stop there because we don't like math. Millions of light years. Yes, say, what is a light year? The distance light can travel in a year. How fast does light travel? 186,000 watts. And based on the year of 265, you're 5 trillion miles away. Where, and now the nearest star, the nearest star is 100 million light years away. So you know how long it would get to heaven? Jesus is still on his way. <laughs> Scientifically, he's not even halfway there. <laughs> you understand? You may not like the way that sounds, but when they speak of this as a new age, and they try to make belonging to new age religions, as they call it, something cultish, no. New age means, like Jesus said, it's time for a new age, a new era, new information. Reverend, come down off the pulpit, because you don't know what you're talking about. It's time for you to move out the way. وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحكي والمجدد لمن مرسلين أما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part? And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sustainer of all the boundless universes? All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend, and send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles, and on the Messiah, the anointed one, and on the Mahdi, the God, and on the Mujaddid, the reform, which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WGAG Radio.
وصلى الله على انبياء اجمعين والمسيح والمحتي والمجدد لمن مرسلين are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it and that he is alone and has no partners and that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sustainer of all the boundless universes all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the generous eternal friend and send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles and on the Messiah the anointed one and on the Mahdi the guy and on the Mujahidah the reformer which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh you are now listening to the true light with Sayyid al-Imam Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi in a live question and answer session the Jesus Christ spoken of in the Bible is this the Jesus Christ that we to look for in the end of the world the one that's coming back first of all let's establish the word Christ we have to start saying Messiah you have a Bible with you no I don't important when you come you bring your tools <laughs> if you open the bible to st john's chapter 1 verse 41 he first finds his own brother simon and says unto him we have found the messiah which is being interpreted christ you see that yes now what did that mean that means that these people who were Jesus' disciples and Christians use this chapter to death they use this St. John chapter 1 to death that Jesus' own disciples knew that he should have been called the Messiah and not Christos from the Latin you follow? so now yes, yes is the answer to your question and no Revelation 1 tells us that the Jesus that they're expecting to come will be like him not him. Revelation chapter 1 reads the revelations of Jesus the Messiah and as you see they have Christ which the creator which they have is God gave unto him gave unto who to Jesus right that's right show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass now the first point is that with this teaching Jesus is talking about his servant Jesus told a woman in Matthew 15 the story when Jesus is dealing with the Canaanite woman he told her he was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only So his servants would have to be the tribe of Judah, the lost sheep. But he was talking to all the rest of them. You see? Now, to show unto his servants which must shortly come to pass, which means there's going to be a future tense here. Things that did not happen during his life, but things that was going to happen in the future. Now here's the catch. And he did what? He sent it 
and signified it by his who? His angel unto his servant John. Right? All right, brother. <laughs> so what happened here, and Christians tend to overlook, is that the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah, which the Lord gave unto him for his servant, Jesus sent it, signifying it with an angel unto John. This angel that Jesus sent it, signifying it by, was none other than the angel Michael, who has the power throughout the book of Revelations, that if you go to Revelation chapter 12, he has the power to defeat Satan. Chapter 12, 7 of Revelation, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. You see that? Yes, I see it. And the dragon fought and his angels. So here we have Michael and some angels of his who are fighting against this dragon and his angels. Who is the dragon and who are his angels? Well, eight says, and prevail not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. So that means that these dragons and his angels was cast out of heaven at this point. And the great dragon was cast out. That old what? Serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You see that? Yes, I see it. So Michael was an angel who was back there in the beginning. However, when these people deal with St. John's chapter 1, now we go back to St. John's chapter 1, and start from the beginning, we're going to see this beginning story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Creator, and the Word was the Creator. The same was in the beginning with the Creator. <laughs> you see? The angel Michael was back there in the beginning, and one of the angels of Michael was the angel Gabriel, who was also back there in the beginning, who fought against Lucifer and his fallen angels. And the angel Gabriel was the angel sent to Mary to tell her that she was going to conceive of the Holy Ghost, which would be Jesus, the Messiah. What people are looking for in the return of Jesus is the return of is Jesus sending forth an angel in his likeness. And people will mistake the angel for Jesus. You follow that? Yes, I do, brother. Salam alaikum. Walaikum salam. Uh, I'm somewhat confused, but this is Exodus I'm looking at, and there's a conversation between the Lord and Moses. Where are we at in Exodus, my brother? I'm in um, Exodus. I mean. Yes, Exodus 3, the 
13th verse. It is a long conversation between Moses and the Lord. It's God, the Lord. The 13th says, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. I better let that go at that. Like I said, I'm a little confused. What, what, tell me what confuses you. Pardon me? What part of it is confusing you? Well, I'm not a scholar in, uh, in the scripture. Yeah, I understand. Or in religion. Yes. So I just thought that I would uh, ask the question, since you spoke of Minister Farrakhan and and he said that God, the original man, is the black man. So that would mean that the black man is God. And when I look in, um, in the Bible, I've searched God just about all my life, whether he was uh, black, Caucasian, or whatever. So the question is, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, Right? When I come unto the children of Israel yes. and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Yes, correct. All right, what is the question? And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me. All right. So now, the God who said back then to Moses was a man. Am I right? No. The Lord no. who was speaking this was not a man. No. Okay. So maybe you know how you, you could, find out? Okay. Maybe you could explain. Yeah. <laughs> go, back to the, go back to the beginning of Exodus 3. Okay. You see the beginning of Exodus 3? Where are you? Exodus 3. Exodus 3. Now Moses. now Moses. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, yes. his father-in-law. This was in the land of Midian, right? Yes. And the priest of Midian. And he led his flock where? To the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even in Horeb. Is that Horeb? Is that uh? That's a place. That's a place. That's where, a that's a specific spot on a mountain where Moses received revelation. Where is that? It's in Sinai. But let's go on so we can hear what happens. Okay. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame. Now who appeared to Moses? According to truth. The angel of the Lord, sir. That's right. And the angel of the Lord was speaking out of the burning bush. Okay. The prayer I'm trying to make it many times in the scriptures, when it speaks of the Creator doing a specific thing, it always, the people who just read, shows you that the angels of Him is doing. The Malaik of Allah Ta'ala does His work. Right. And they were men. And they can personify as men. Okay. Certain ones. But they are angelic beings, Malaik. They have the power, if the law grants, to personify as human beings. They are what you refer to when they get into the earth, Earth's atmosphere as extraterrestrials. Yes, sir. You understand? Yes, sir. They reside in various pockets of the universe. They, they come from what's called the Crystal City, which goes into a deeper thing. 
All right? So in this quote in the Bible, when it's talking to Moses speaking with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's through his angel, either Mikael or Jibrael. In this case, it's Jibrael. Those are the most powerful angels. The highest of all of the angelic beings from Malakut is Mikael. Because Mikael like means light El, and that's from Elohim or Elohim or Allah. He's like Allah insofar as he has the power to sustain himself on earth. He came to Abraham he, in the Torah in, in Genesis. He came to Jesus. He came to Moses. He came to Muhammad. He as Khidr in the Holy Quran. He has Mikael, and he's called Melchizedek, or El Khidr, Michael, okay? And then he has an intergalactical name, and his intergalactical name is Yanun. Every one of the prophets, when they are out of the physical and into the spiritual realm, has an intergalactical name. Esau's name is Sanenda, when he's out of this. You understand? Yes, ma'am. So we're talking about angels who are who can personify in human beings as human beings and speak in representation of the creator of the heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? I hope yes, I hope Lord. you understand it. Thank you. Thank okay. you for the clarification. Mm-hmm. Assalamu Imam, did you meet Melchizedek at the junction of the two nouns like the Mahdi? At the time when I was being brought to the consciousness of who and what I am, I met him at Tuti, not knowing at the time who he was. I just thought he was an old man. And he told me at, that this thing, and whatever I, what, he said, if you'll have the sue of answers, think, and I'll be there. I never knew at the time he meant that he was going to be in me moving outward. I thought he meant that if you need me, contact me, just like you would. If you need me, contact me, and I'll let you know. I didn't know that young in my life who or what I am. It took me until I was 40 years old to realize that I was speaking to a reflection of myself. I had no idea. Thank you. What, um, what purpose does the sacred ash serve in paradise? The sacred ash serves no purpose in what you know as paradise. But in the, in the celestial or crystal city, there is incense that burns and the ash from the incense can be transported down to earth plane as a sign that this person is in tune with that higher city. There's a city above the earth uh, called the Crystal City, which sometimes is mistaken for the mothership. The mothership or the ship that has the little ships in it come out of the Crystal City. Crystal City is right above the earth and has been there for centuries. And it's a whole city, you call it, the city of Jerusalem, when you say it's going to come down out of heaven, etc. So there's incense burning there, material incense as you know it, all right? And ashes from that incense is the, what comes down as what you call the sacred ash, okay? Yes. I have one question here. What kind of battle will take place with Michael and Satan, and where will it take place? question is, what kind of battle will take place? With yeah. Mikael and Shaitan, or yeah. which kind did take place? Because remember, they had a battle already in the heavens, in Malakut, and he was cast down, okay? Well, the question is, what kind of battle will take place? In the latter day, yeah. and this is understood, 
that you have read throughout your scripture that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking you to get not less than and not more than 144,000 to be ready to be taken up in an Isra like Rasulullah was, to be taken out of here before this, the four winds of the earth are let loose for destruction on the planet Earth, because Shaitan is getting a grip of the planet. He's asking for not more than and not less than 144,000 that will be taken up, taken up, it says in the scripture, literally, taken up and taken to the crystal city, Alurat, taken right to the Medina, and there they'll stay for a thousand years and be groomed by the elders. Shaitan and his wicked angels, the cherubim, are going to try to come into that city to destroy that city and those special people taken from earth that will be gowned in white. Him and his cherubim are going to try to take the city of the seraphim. You understand? Yeah. But they'll be trapped. They'll be baited like the story of Job. And then he'll be cast into the earth because you have a central city in the center of your earth. I know this sounds crazy, but it's true. You have a central sun. There's a city in the center of the earth called Agrita. And the capital of the city is called Shambhala. And the temple where it keeps Satan trapped with a hexagram is called Wahala. He likes Muslims to rise a pentagram, which is a five-pointed star. But he can be trapped in the hexagram. In the six-pointed star, you can trap Satan. He'll be kept in that city. For a period of time, the so-called Merillion, as they call it, the thousand-year period, that that 144,000 will be kept in the celestial crystal city to be groomed, to get their godlike or divine qualities back in them before they descend back to earth with the Lamb, which will be the angel Michael who will bring them back to earth. You see, Shaitan, like it mentioned in Revelation, is going to try to get up to that new city of peace and try to destroy that abode. That abode is called Darul Islam in the Quran. The abode of peace is not on earth. And in it are angels, they say in the Quran. Hariya. Those are seraphim and the masters, the awalina, the Quran says, the ancient ones. They are there to teach and try to get you prepared to come back in because you have to wipe away this earth and wipe away this heaven and bring in a new heaven and a new earth. So the battle will be fought because Satan is going to try to invade that very city, the crystal city, but shall be cast into the pit of the earth and down into the center of the planet. Like I said, there's a city. Inhabitants of the city are from Mool and Maria, they're from Atlantis, they're from the Mayan people, different people were, who were taught by extraterrestrials or angelic beings and were taken into these cities. And they're there now, and the devil knows about it. And they would not even be on earth had it not been for 1945 when you people dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and it frightened the Galactical Brothers. Because you almost cracked the earth. So the elders had a meeting and came to the surface. You call them angels. How much you feel like. Came to the surface and said, we got to prevent the serpent seed. We call them the serpent person. The serpent and his seed from destroying you before you are ready. 
before you are prepared, before you are transformed back into a spiritual being, we got to stop him from destroying. The other night when they saw that green light, and he said it was, it, it was a meteorite. No, better yet, I think it was a meteorite. It wasn't a meteorite. I told y'all the ships are coming. I told you they're here. He didn't say it was a meteorite. There's no such thing as a green meteorite. Go back and study astronomy and show me somewhere where he told you about a green meteorite. He told you about pink stars, blue stars, and white stars. He never spoke about no green star or no green meteorite. And what kind of gas burns green? They burn blue, they burn yellow, they burn amber, but not green. Somebody's lying. So the battle that you spoke about between the elders is between those being prepared, the seraphim, under Mikhail, to suppress the cherubim, which is the 200 fallen angels, and you people on earth who are left behind because you don't come in and get prepared to make the transition from this state to the sacred city, you're going to be the playground of the devil. Do you know that the planet Earth used to be a hunting ground? That the, the cherubim used to come here and hunt prehistoric animals to laser lights and kill them just for the fun of it? You have not only positive angelic beings visiting the planet, Odyssey. Your galaxy is called Terra. It's called Terra. All right? That's the galaxy you're in. Your own was called Zorokaya. Zorokaya, the name of your planet. All right? You have extraterrestrials. They become extra when they get inside here. Visiting you, all of them are not positive. Some of them are called jinn. From the Ifrit mentioned in the Quran, Solomon had big battles with these jinns who would come in and land here, and they infiltrate man and corrupt the world. They mutilate animals. They come down and they mutilate animals. They hunt for the fun of it. They make themselves seen as UFOs, and they hunt. They take people up. They abuse people. And then there are other galactical beings who are fighting against them, trying to get you people prepared, but you keep rejecting. You want all this fiction religion. You want to believe that Muhammad came with this new type of religion. When Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in contact with extraterrestrials, when the angel Jibra'el, salam alaykum wa rahmatullah, came to the Prophet Muhammad in the cave, he came as light, he came as an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian being, and he came to Rasulullah Muhammad as light, and told Muhammad that man has fell away from the most important commandment. Who created him? And when? So he told Muhammad, you better go back and ikra. Ikra bismillah Go back and read in the name of the very creator. You follow? But man refuses. Man rejects. He's been tempted by the devil. And the devil and his seed is here, like I explained earlier. And man loves him. And like it says in the Bible in Revelation, he wants to even live in the image of the beast. I would like to know, why was um, the devil sent to another planet? Well, two questions. Why was the devil sent to another planet? And also, why is he, why is he captured? Why do they have to catch him and take him to Shambhala and bound him for a thousand years instead of just destroying him? Because energy cannot be destroyed. You can only alter its appearance. And what a lot of human beings don't realize is that what they call the devil was once an angel, Malak, 
and he was created of nar, or a poisonous type of fire. Not the same fire as you find on earth, but it's for lack of a better word, that's all they can use. And you cannot destroy energy. You can only alter its appearance. Or you can refrain it. You can discipline it. You can confine it. Or you can channel it. Now, nowhere has it been said that he was sent to another planet. It was said that he has left this planet and has gone on to another planet. It has not been sent. You don't send the devil anywhere. You have to trap him. And he's trapped by what's called the hexagon, which is the symbol of the six-pointed star. Muslims all over the world, well, I shouldn't say that because most Muslims out of America don't use it. Mainly you find American Muslims who use a five-pointed star and crescent. Don't realize that it's a symbol of the devil. They think that the five-pointed star and crescent is a symbol of Islam because Elijah Muhammad or because Noble Juali or because some other brother told him that and those brothers were misinformed about the symbol of Al-Islam which is confirmed by the fact that in Holy Quran it tells us that all of the prophets of Allah were from Rasulullah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on back to Isa Al-Masiyah, Jesus the Messiah on back to Moses and all the way back to Abraham, all were of one text, one scripture, be it a suhuf or a hikmah or Torah or Zubur or Injil or Al-Quran. They are all one scripture from one sustainer of all the boundless universes who is Allah Ta'ala. You understand? Yes. There with then Dawood, David, who received the Psalms, was a Muslim, as the Quran confirms. You follow? Yes. And the five-pointed star is not identified with any of the prophets of Allah in any of the scriptures, including the Holy Quran. There's no mention of a use of a five-pointed star by Muslims. However, it is understood through the Torah and mentioned the utilization of the six-pointed star, the hexagram, that Solomon used to trap the jinn the Quran speaks of. You see? So he built his empire on a pentagram. Or when he takes a country, he puts a new five-pointed star on his flag. The eye you see on the back of the dollar bill over the pyramid is a symbol of Nimrod. They knew that the elders used to use the pyramids to travel intergalactically. They knew that. They know how all the pyramids are hooked up magnetically a perfect distance apart. They know that what you refer to as a Bermuda Triangle is really a pyramid sending up magnetic waves. They know these things. And they put the eye of Nimrod there. And that is their God. That's the one that was crucified. That's who was born December 25th. Isa Ebmeriam, Jesus was not born on December 25th. Where did they get this snow in Jerusalem stuff? I don't know. I mean, they made it up. Because they were talking about in the Caucasus Mountain where there's snow. There. Not in Bethlehem. You see? All right? Thank you very much.
And what's the answer? I'm based Camden. Where they come from? How they get into the sacred city? Who are they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of, of Allah, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of water. That's called Kota, fountains of water in paradise. And Allah shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is what you're working for. The world, the destruction of this planet has been held back for you. Those people who get the seal of the Father in their head by consequence of prostration. Not those who get the seal of the beast in their forehead or in their head. But they'll tell you how will they down themselves. What did the master say they look like? In number nine? White robes. They know who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. They're waiting for you. You understand that? And they'll take you to the throne where you sit in the midst of the righteous. And the very presence of the Most High will be there. You feel His presence in the land. And there'll be no more double rain or double power. It'll be over. This is what you're working for. Most people don't want to get there. All right. You have been listening to The True Light, a question and answer session with Asaid Al-Imamisa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi. Do you want to know the truth? Can you face the truth? Be sure to read the most dynamic books in history, authored by Asaid Al-Imamisa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi, on such subjects as, What is a Muslim? Where is the tabernacle of the Most High? Should Muslims observe the Sabbath? Was Christ really crucified? Who was the comforter? Now let us return to the true light with Asaid al-Imam Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi. Remember, you are the light, and you have the power over all things. Okay, in Exodus 34:33, um, I read, um, until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Um, I was wondering what's the purpose of this veil and if the veil will always be necessary for uh, women to wear um, and was it always necessary for women to wear because like in Egyptian art I never see that with women wearing a veil. Why? You know why? No. What language are you reading? Hmm? What language are you reading the dictionary in? English. And who mostly wrote them? Pardon me? And who are usually the writers of those dictionaries in English? English people. Or Americans. Americans. And they're not going to have y'all reading the Bible where it says a woman should wear a veil because then, see this, let's look at this. Somewhere along the line, the Catholic Church tends to relate to the way Muslim women dress, all the way up until they're covering their face. But somewhere along the line, in their doctrine of the Catholic Church, which is supposed to be the oldest church of the Christians, they seem to understood years ago that a woman's supposed to stay covered, head and everything. That's why they had the nuns dressed that way. Then another thing, inside of a Christian marriage, 
We have what? When you get ready to marry, what does a woman put on? White. Long white dress and a veil. Veil. If she doesn't wear white, that means she's not a virtuous woman like the 31st Proverbs. That means she gave up her virginity before she got married. Okay? So therefore, she would not wear a veil or a white robe. She can wear any color. <laughs> but they're telling you by that that the long white dress and the veil is a symbol of purity. Next question is, did I make this up? <laughs> but first let me ask you a question. The reason why Moses had a veil is because Moses' brother, Harod, which we know as Aaron, was sanctioned by the Heavenly Father to become the high priest over all the children of Israel. And if you look up in any biblical dictionary at the dress of them, the so-called ancient rabbis, you see a tiflin. A tiflin is much like a shawl that they wore over their heads. If you see any Jews in their churches or synagogues today, you'll see the same thing. They wore over their heads and it comes down past and has little lines of blue and little tassels on it. You know what I'm saying? That has been the garb of the ancient Israelites for centuries. So when Moses had finished talking to the children of Israel, he took his shawl and threw it over his shoulder, which would be covering his face, or like you see in Arab sometimes from the desert, and they were definitely in the desert, take the shawl and wrap it around his face and turn and walk away. You've seen that before. Right? This has nothing to do with the Bible veil. The Bible veil, let's go back to Genesis. Chapter 3, verse 7. And if we read it, we'll see. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. That's not there. That just means begin all things with the illustrious name of Allah, the yielder, the most merciful. And their eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And what did they do? Those did leave together and made themselves aprons. Made an apron. They did not make a full garb. They made a short thing, an apron. An apron is something that does not go beyond the knee or above the breast. Now move to the same chapter, chapter 3, verse 21, and watch the Heavenly Father let her know that a short dress is improper dress. The garb of the veil is something that the Almighty Creator of the heaven and earth is going to make them put on. Watch it. Turn and read that. 24, you said? Nope. Chapter 3, verse 21. Oh. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. I understand that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now, here we see that they had taken upon themselves to dress a specific way, which was identified as an apron, partial, and then the Almighty made them cloaks of skin. A cloak is a total cover. You follow that? Mm -hmm. And cover them. So the veil started way back with Adam and Eve. Had nothing to do with Rasulullah Muhammad 
and the questions of the Holy Quran which identify with it. You see? Mm -hmm. But people have this tendency of trying to make people think that the wearing of the veil started in Islam and started with the Arab people and was a custom. And they are lying because it's not where it started. If you turn to Genesis 24, verse 64. 64? Yep, 2464 of Genesis. Mm -hmm. We're going to see where Rebecca, we'll read it and see what we come up with. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the candle. Camel. Off the camel. <laughs> uh, for she had said unto the servant, What man is that? walketh in the field to meet us. And the servant had said, It is my master. Uh, so what did she do? Therefore, therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. You see? Mm -hmm. Now here we're talking about Rebecca. Way back in the Old Testament, during Abraham's time, this Rebecca was to become Isaac, one of Abraham's son's wife. Now, she belonged to the family of Abraham to his brother. And when she saw Isaac, which is one of her relatives, which they married back then, coming through the field, she knew he was a strange man to her. So what did she do? She covered herself. She covered her face. Now, to verify that the children of Israel did wear those veils, if you see in Isaiah 3, Isaiah 3, 18 to 23, It'll tell you also that all the Israelites at one time wore a veil. But because they transgressed against the law, subhanahu wa ta'ala, their veils and their tassels and their earrings and their nose rings were taken away. Now you read it and it says what? In the day the Lord will take away the bravery of thy, of thy tinkling ornaments about thy feet and their curls and their round ties like the moon, I mean their crescents, oh. their chains, their bracelets, mm -hmm. and their mufflers, and their bonnets, their headpieces, the children who took them off, mm -hmm. and the ornaments of their legs. Now you see the Jewish people wearing short skirts, and, wearing, and their headbands, right? Mm -hmm. And the tablets, they don't read the scriptures no more, mm -hmm. and their earrings, and their nose rings, mm -hmm. and what else? And changing of suits of apparel, oh, mm -hmm. and a mantle, and the what? Wimples and the crisping pins, mm -hmm. the glasses, and, fine, and the fine linen, and the hoods, and the veil. And the last thing they took away from Israel was the? The veil. See, they stripped them because they transgressed against the Most High. The children of Israel have lost the right to wear all the stuff you see those guys on 42nd dressing. Stand down there with all that stuff on. Right here in Isaiah, it tells them they can't wear that no more. And the so-called Amorite Jew, the so-called Hasidic Jew, he knows that. His women wear a wig with a bald head. They don't wear the clothes no more. They don't wear the white. They don't wear the nose ring. They don't wear none of it. The only thing they retain the right to wear is the locks and the beard. And they've changed the color of their clothes from white to black, knowing that throughout Israel they wore shining white. Says it. You follow? Yeah. 
Now, if we go to the Holy Quran, which is what which we should seal this with, the 24th chapter, the 31st verse, and read it. Bismillahi, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, 24:31. It says, and tell the faithful women that they are to lower their looks, their eyes, and guard their private parts, and don't display their bodily ornaments except what appears thereof, and make them wear their face veils over and down their bosoms. In their translations, they have cut all of that up. As you read yours, read yours and see what it says. From the beginning. Yes, please. And say to the bleeding women that they cast down their looks and guard their private parts and do not display their ornaments except what appears, what appears thereof. And let them wear their head coverings over their bosoms. See how they did that? Yeah. They took out words. And out of it we get what and pull. Say or tell those faithful women. You see that? Mm-hmm. That they are to... Not be pious. Lower the eyes. Don't be staring men in the eyes seductively is what it means. Lower men of a hina. Lower their sight. Don't be, don't be lustful and aggressive towards men other than your own man, of course. All right? Well, your fuzna. That word is from al hatisu which means, and they are to protect or guard. Buruja hunna. All of their private parts, that's their bust, their vaginal, their, not, their shapes of their body, their voluptuousness is supposed to be something sacred and it should be protected. That word there is Uru Jahunna. You see it? Wala and do not, wa and la don't, wala and do not, yubdeen. Don't make seen, don't display, don't allow, don't let it be seen. What? The name that any of their bodily appearance, which means not only are they supposed to wear loose garments, but they're not supposed to let things be seen like a slit down the front where you can see what they refer to as uh, the shapes of their bust, or stuff so tight that you can see, you know, it, not only don't show your body outright, but don't even let the, what do you call it in English, the image of it be seen, the shape. You know, like in other words, a person could be standing in front of you naked, or a person could be standing there with clothes on and so tight she might as well be naked. He's saying don't do either one of those things. All right? Illa, except for ma, what, zahar, what already appears, which is necessary, which means except for what appears, your hands and your feet. Those things, minha, except for what appears, like they say, zahara minha, except for what appears naturally, in other words. All right? I don't see that. That's because they have it as, except for what, how do they, how do they read it there? Uh, here it says, except to their husbands or their fathers. That's because they added husbands and fathers. The word husband, you know, zoage, and fathers, uh, Abu or 
is not even in there. They just added that in to imply that you can, around your immediate family, you can expose your body. That's what it meant. But it's not in there literally. They just put that in so they can convey their point. Okay. Okay. Then it goes, well, be right? And that you should be forced to darabba. See that? Darabba is the Arabic word to hit or to strike, to hit somebody. And you should make it hit. Now, what are we talking about? There's a whole subject of the whole thing. Be humari hina. Hina on the end is hers. The word khimar means a face veil, but the root of it means a covering, khumra, to be covered or blocked or screened away. In the Holy Quran, in the 42nd chapter and the 51st verse, when Allah says, and Allah did not talk to normal human beings except by way of inspiration or from behind a barrier. And in Arabic, they got hijab there. Hijab, the Sunni Muslims say that veil is not that. A hijab in the outer world is a screen or a curtain or something of that nature. This thing we're talking about is called khimar or khumra. When they say a person is intoxicated, they say he's drunk khumra. Something that has blocked his mind to the point where he can't function. So there they have veils, meaning now something is, comes over Hit your bosom and down and cover your face. It has got to cover your whole face. No such thing as partial. You see, if it comes over your head and down and hits your bosom, as it's going to say here, because it says Allah, over, the next word, over, or they say on, right? To you behina, their bosoms, their breasts, their things, saying come over, down, and strike their bosoms. They are evading this reality. But yet, when you look in the Far East, you see the women of the desert who have not been educated or indoctrinated by Western world still wearing. The Bush women still wearing. You can get any magazine from Geographic and fumble through it, and you see they say, this is Algeria. In the desert, you see those women with their veil on. When a man's pointing the camera, you see them trying to cover their face, just like we showed you in the books of Genesis. So the dress of face covering is a law that was given to us at Adam and Eve's time, not with the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not with the Prophet Abraham sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or Moses, but all of them had to live by it. In fact, even Mary, when the angel appeared to her, she pulled her covering over her. And he said, Hail Mary, thou have been chosen above women in the world. She saw an angel as a man, and covered herself from him also. Screened herself, as they say. Okay? So that veil is a law. There's no getting around it. Okay. It's a known fact in Islam. The angel Gabriel, salam alaykum wa rahmatullah, came to Rasulullah Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the cave, and said to Muhammad, Isra. Wa Muhammad, wa ta'ala, ya Jibrael, he said, Muhammad, read. He said, Jibra, I am not a reader. <laughs> Muhammad, read. 
He says, Jibrel, I am not a reader. <laughs> what is he asking this man? What is this extraterrestrial being asking of this man? A very simple statement, right? What is Muhammad saying? I'm not a reader. What does it mean he's not a reader? He does not know how to read. That's right. Of my own, I cannot do anything. So the angel says to him, which is now the 96th chapter of the Holy Quran, and it's going to be mathematically equated in a way that's unbelievable. Aleha Tisafahashim. Over it is 19. Jibra says to Rasulullah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Begin all things in the illustrious name of Allah. He is the yield of the most merciful. Read by way of using the name of Rabbika, your sustainer, Alladhi who khalaka, who created. Khalaka al-insana min alaq. He created all forgetful creatures, insan, people, man, men, alak, from sperm gushing forth and dividing up. Ikra, warabuka, al-akram, and we like this, Muhammad, by way of your sustainer, who is karam, who is so generous. Allazi alama bil qalam, he is which has alama taught. Bil Qalam by using a quilt or a pen. It is who has taught you forgetful creatures what you could not on your own have learned. Those are the first five verses of the revelation that came to Rasulullah. He put the words in his mouth so that Muhammad would not speak of himself. He made sure that Muhammad just repeated exactly what was being said. So he had no opinions. And Muhammad oftentimes said, I can't say nothing that has not come from Allah Ta'ala throughout the Quran. Most Muslims translate the word Ikra as recite, proclaim. The word Ikra means read. Ikra How do you know? You know because by the time it gets down to the fourth verse, it tells you, Alladhi alama bil qalam, which taught by way of a pen. What do you do? When something is written with a pen, you read it. You don't recite it. You recite from your head. You orate from your heart. You read from something written. But only Sunnis can say, no, it means recite. That's the devil leading them away from the true meaning. Because they don't want them to know that Muhammad was asked to read the Torah and the Injil before he revealed his Quran. And the Holy Quran in the second chapter supports that to the letter when we get to Surah Al-Baqarah when it tells you about what was sent down to you, Muhammad, and what was sent down from before you, Muhammad, when it says in the fourth verse of the second chapter, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ وَالَّذِينَ And those who يُؤْمِنُونَ They believe بِمَا بَعْوَيَ أُنزِلَ What was sent down إِلَيْكَ To you, Muhammad 
We will continue with the man of the hour, Dr. Malachi Z. York, the reformer for this day and time, right after these messages. All Eyes on Egypt presents the Holy Tablet, backed by popular demand. Written and transcribed by Dr. Malachi Zodok York L., the receiver. This is the scripture that is divinely inspired that will bring about a long overdue change. Like the phoenix bird rising up out of its ashes. Up, you mighty people, come forth like Lazarus from the tomb. This tablet is food to feed the hunger and to nourish the soul to give it strength. Rise up, stand up. Be counted amongst the people of this world. Be the first to get your copy of the Holy Tablets while supplies last. At All Eyes on Egypt, Monticello, Georgia, 706-468-2319. Tune in to the El Holy Tablet Show every Friday and Saturday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WGAD Radio. Look at the air. Look at the People always debate it. Who's the greatest player of all time? Dumb question. It should be, who's the greatest team of all time? WGAG Radio. Sorry, Showtime. WGAG Radio. Back to back. WGAG Radio. First three P. WGAG Radio. Even with the flu. WGAG Radio. No push-off. WGAG Radio. And my favorite... Tough to beat that. But you think there's someone else? Prove it. Look at the air. Look at the air. Woo! Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. It's hard to yell when the bat rails in your mouth. Woo! Bring them out. Bring them out. This is Matuna Firu. I'm calling in from Toledo, Ohio, and I want to give WGAG Radio seven-year happy anniversary. This is Empress Ross calling in from Reno, Nevada, and I would like to wish WGAG Radio a happy seven-year anniversary. Seeing me for calling from Chicago, Illinois. I want to wish WGAG Radio happy seven years and many more. I'm a prestige bitch. Bring them out. 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 I came up out of that goddamn life, bitch. I'm trying to show you some shit, but you keep rattling with the fucking name. Hey, this is James Moore calling from the nation's capital. Wish the WGAG Radio happy. Seven years, and I wish you more. This is peace and blessings saying happy seventh anniversary to WCAG Radio. Calling from North Cross, Georgia. It wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the baddest black, brilliant, big booty, baddest chick in the world, Don Dakota. Yo, nobody can do it like you, baby. We get Yes, I will accept the word get though. Get though. We can do T T O. Get who fucking stop it. Yeah. Yeah. 
calling from Bremerton, Washington, to wish WGAG a happy seventh birthday. Peace, love, and prosperity, and much growth. Yeah, this is Jay Illa calling from the great Lone Star State of Texas. Just want to say shalom, de la cool, fiel, kaloom. Peace to all within the all. He cut them sip y'all wounds. And congratulations on a strong seven years to Don Nicole Leon, WGAG Radio, and the Brain Trust family. We're going to keep doing this shit forever. So when you got these jobs out there that for once have not embraced all, have not embraced God, look at women as a piece of ass and still ain't got ass and still is low life and always trying to hunt I say, find God, get your shit together, and then I'll let me later, nigga. Hey, John, this is my baby love calling from Georgia, Georgia. And, of course, I have to give a seven-year birthday shout-out to WGAG, Real Nigga Radio, and to you, the baddest bitch in El Calou, John Nicole. I'm a psychic to not be free at the goddamn gas station. <laughs> That's all I'm fucking attracted to, y'all. Mike check, Mike check, great day, Doug. Happy 7th anniversary to WGAG Radio. This is Tony calling in from Memphis, Tennessee. I want to wish a happy 7th birthday to WGAG Radio. Y'all put it down all the time. Real shit for real motherfuckers. So keep on keeping it. Hey, 